0: Today, on The Lab Report, we talk about another root cause of IBS.
1: Yeah, a lot of this material is hard to digest. I hope people really chew on it for a while, and really absorb it. Are you done? I think so. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease, Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report.
0: Hello. What up? How's it going? So good today, dude. It's the lab report. I know. It is
1: the lab report.
0: My name's Michael Chapman. And I'm
1: Patty Devers. And we're here on behalf of Genova Diagnostics.
0: Genova Diagnostics. Thank you for the microphones. Thank Mm -hmm. you for the platform. Pleased to be here. If you're pleased to be here, (laughs) feel free to uh, subscribe on iTunes, rate us, leave a little review. Positive, please. I can't (laughs) wait
1: to read all the feedback. You know, if clinicians email us at podcast at gdx.net, then...
0: Please you know, let I just, us
1: know what you think of Michael Chapman. You know, I just the set that to go detailed, right better. to you. I just
0: <laughs> set up a rule that all those are just getting filtered right to you. Leave my inbox below. He likes bit to hear
1: really detailed critiques yes. in an attempt to get better.
0: I would like that if you guys mm. actually have something helpful to say as far as what yeah. you want to hear. I'm sure we both would like that. Mm-hmm. Questions, case studies. I'll
1: filter out the ones that will make you cry since it's coming to me
0: first. So I can expect what? How many emails? <laughs> A couple. Zero.
1: <laughs> just, just one just, from your mom saying you're the best, right, Michael. That's right.
0: Uh, you you're beat me best. to it. I'm
1: so proud of you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. That was good. Um, yeah. So so do those things. Okay. Um, I wasn't talking. to oh, those. I was talking I to, to the people who me. might be listening. But oh. um, they should do those things too. If they're still listening. Mm-hmm. So last time. We talked about inflammation, Mm -hmm. and you know that's one root cause of dysfunction in the GI tract, one amongst many. And we talked about how IBS is really this umbrella term for all these functional disturbances, and inflammation you can suss out in a suss,
1: yeah, okay,
0: in a GI FX test, a stool test. But there's other things. And today, I think it, it was a good topic to be talking about malabsorption, maldigestion. How We're going to suss those out today. That's right. You don't like that word, huh? I don't know. It's just a strange word. Hmm.
1: I'm going to have to start using it.
0: Yeah, you should try it on. <laughs> it's a good one.
1: How, how do you spell suss?
0: S-U-S-S.
1: What's the actual definition of suss?
0: I don't know. Why don't we Google it? There's a segment we like to call Googling gonna it. going to Google it. A lot of typing for four letters.
1: It's not the quantity, it's the quality, sir. I see. Here it is. It's informal in British.
0: Is it? It's British. Well, I'm sorry for having such an informal word, informal vocabulary. It's a
1: verb, meaning to realize or to grasp something. He sussed it. Yeah. We've all learned today. Yeah. You must have done really well on the SATs.
0: Not on the verbal. Not on the verbal part of it, hmm. actually. Okay. Did very well in the math.
1: Well you're good at making up words too. Let's so see.
0: that's probably why I did so poorly <laughs> on that section <laughs> of the test. It's creative genius. Anyway. So what starting at the top. Right. What what do we what, what, what do we think about as causes of maldigestion, malabsorption? Or should we even just back up?
1: Yeah, let's back it up a little bit further. And
0: just say like, what is the the GI tract's big overall function is to like take the food you eat, break it down, get the nutrients. That's right. So this is a big one.
1: And you know, if you think about it, it starts in your mouth even with chewing, right? And saliva.
0: It's a very important process. That's
1: where it starts.
0: Yeah. And digesting I mean, if you your wanna, food
1: starts higher up. So if you want
0: to talk about one major source of maldigestion, there you go. Like how many of us are actually chewing mm-hmm. the amount that is recommended mm-hmm. and starting that digestive process. Not only does saliva have enzymes to help break down food the reflexes based on taste that stimulate pancreatic flow and whether it's fat that you're chewing whether it's bitter taste these all can can stimulate the flow of bile acid and proteolytic enzymes from the pancreas so there's multiple things that are occurring in the oral cavity when you start chewing and when you start that process of digestion
1: I'm glad we backed it all the way up there. Yeah. That is true. And the, on some of the stool tests, they actually look for things like vegetable fibers and meat fibers. And the most common cause of that is terrible mastication or incomplete, you know, just not chewing well.
0: And, and it's true. I mean, how many of us uh, are actually chewing our food? Mm-hmm. Um, I can speak for myself. I mean, I'm always eating in a rush. And so I'm, I'm not conscious And that's one of the things that we as naturopaths actually talk a lot about is what we call eating hygiene, where what is the situation that you're putting yourself in when you're eating?
1: It's like that sympathetic parasympathetic state as you present to your food. Because
0: we know that digestion occurs optimally in a parasympathetic state and under sympathetic activity, all your blood flow is directed away from the GI tract. Right, And so, you know, what are you eating in the car or are you sitting down? Are you watching Game of Thrones? Game
1: of Thrones, really? Yeah, I know. It's over. It's kind of a dated reference. It is. It is. There are lots of other shows that can give you like a really stressful, sympathetic state.
0: Yeah. Like what? What what, Um, what are some of the ones that you think of?
1: I think of like football, Uh, like watching the Eagles lose. Okay. Makes me jump up and down like a crazy woman. Yeah. How about you? Project Runway?
0: But uh, No, mostly oh. Great British Baking Show. Oh, my gosh. High stress. Wow. You know, under pressure, spilling flour. Who are you? I'm just saying, look, it's mayhem so wait, l- l- at my house. L- let me clarify something. No, It I- is pure mayhem. I've I- got two kids <laughs> under the age of five. So I'm pretty much eating cold food while standing, wearing a baby on my chest. And so mm. that's usually the situation that I'm under. When I'm eating.
1: Well, I brought up football. You brought up a baking show. Let's I, start there. Listen,
0: I have no control over what shows up <laughs> on my television. I'm just thankful yeah. when it's real people and not something animated. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a world outside of here and it's not animated. <laughs> so how is this affecting your digestion and absorption? You don't want to know. Mm. I mean, we could get into that, but I don't, I don't think anyone wants to hear that. Probably
1: not. But the, the bigger point is like we're talking about malabsorption, maldigestion. Everyone goes to the gut, but it does start up in the mouth. And it's all of these things you're talking about. In addition, it's how you show up to your food. It's it's hormonal. It's parasympathetic, sympathetic. There's so many more aspects to digesting and absorbing right. than just, you know, what's going on in your intestine.
0: Yeah. So that's the, that's the first thing. And then whatever you are doing from a mastication standpoint or not doing, that's going to put added strain on the rest of your GI tract. That's going to put added strain on your stomach to, to break down bigger food molecules, bigger protein substances, all that, which lends itself to just setting up for (laughs) setting up for disaster, but that's, (laughs) that's a little dramatic, right?
1: A little, but then even with that, so get to the stomach and there are parietal cells and rugae in the stomach that, you know, secrete hydrochloric acid, which helps to break down all of our food and helps to break down proteins, etc. Right? So that's another place where someone might have a problem because as we get older, we have a decreased capacity to make hydrochloric acid and... A lot of people take over-the-counter proton pump inhibitors or sure. acid-blocking medications. It's pretty common.
0: Sure. Right? So some things we can affect there is what is the actual pH of the stomach and the mm-hmm. stomach stomach acid, how much of it's being secreted, mm-hmm. and what's going on even with the mechanical activity of the stomach, and that right. gets us back to sympathetic, parasympathetic, and, and what is... I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm assuming that there is some sort of difference if somebody's in a parasympathetic state as compared to a heightened fight or flight state and the ability for the stomach to do all that mechanical activity yeah. that it needs to do to break down and churn and, yeah. and make contact. Because it's muscle,
1: it's muscle contracture. Right? Yeah. So just think about your sympathetic, parasympathetic, and all of your other muscles. Right. Quite similar, I'm sure. So. And with that, so we talked about how if you're not chewing well you can sometimes see vegetable fibers and you're setting yourself up in the stomach for poor digestion and if you're in the stomach now and someone has for example low stomach acid for a myriad of reasons
0: hypochlorhydria right mm-hmm.
1: or medications uh-huh what are some things you think we'd see on a stool test there
0: well on a stool test i think first and foremost i'd be looking for problems with protein digestion and absorption a lot of the hydro- what would that look like Elevated products of protein breakdown. What are those? So products of protein breakdown are essentially products of fermentation of amino acids. So when you eat protein, it gets broken down into peptides, polypeptides, and those further get broken down into your individual amino acids. Most of that should be well absorbed before it reaches the large intestine, right? So Mm -hmm. most of the absorption of amino acids occurs in the small intestine. What can happen is when amino acids reach the large intestine, because there's a large bacterial microbiome there, they can ferment these amino acids into these products. We're calling them products of protein breakdown, but they're fermentation products from bacteria. And so if you see high amounts of that, it suggests that there's incomplete absorption of these amino acids in the small intestine where they're being fermented. And so that's why I I tend to think about products of protein breakdown as being an indication of poor protein digestion. And that all starts dramatically in the stomach. So I'm wondering about hypochlorhydria when I see high levels of that. now that's it's a little nuanced because we know that every single proteolytic enzyme is dependent on a certain pH and if you get outside that pH it doesn't function as well And so you know it, it, it could also very well be that you see problems with fat digestion and absorption too So you know it's, it's not it's not a one-to-one correlation but I do think about protein maldigestion a little bit more specifically for hypochloridria
1: It's true and they are they are all closely tied in general, these yeah. different enzymes to help digest your food. But then I also think about other problems that come from hypochlorhydria, right? So the fact that you're, you have a stomach acid with a low pH, it makes it an inhospitable place to have bacteria in your stomach and or small intestine. Yeah. So those have a lower amount of bacteria than your large intestine. So if someone's on a proton pump inhibitor or they're hypochlorhydric for a myriad of reasons, not only are they not going to be able to fully digest a lot of these proteins, but it's also setting them up for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth in general.
0: Yeah, and that could also contribute to elevated products of protein breakdown on a stool test because, again, you're supposed to be absorbing your amino acids in the small intestine. And if you've got a bunch of bacteria where they shouldn't be, hanging out in the small intestine, having a party, (laughs) then they're going to be fermenting those amino acids before they get absorbed. So that's another reason, you know, if we see... These elevated products of protein breakdown on a stool test, you could ask the question about signs and symptoms of SIBO for sure, because ultimately they're fermentation byproducts from bacteria.
1: Let me ask this. Okay. If your products of protein breakdown are low, can you assume that someone's just digesting and absorbing like a champ?
0: It's one possibility, mm-hmm. or they're not eating a lot of protein, mm-hmm. particularly meat protein, but any protein really. And- That's one possibility. Another possibility is that they have a deficient microbiome where there's not a lot of bacterial populations fermenting these. So you always want to correlate that to the results of the the microbiome analysis, because that's going to tell you, oh, this person has lower levels of commensal bacteria overall in their gut or, or looks relatively normal. So that can give you a little bit more insight. You can kind of do a crosswalk from that direction.
1: Cool. All right. So... That then brings us further down the tract, your GI tract, right? So let's talk about the pancreas.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's (laughs) let's talk about the pancreas. This is your favorite
1: topic. So the pancreas. What a
0: remarkable um, organ.
1: Why do you say that?
0: Because it has both exocrine and endocrine functions.
1: Oh, so exocrine function versus
0: endocrine function. So
1: exocrine function means that it releases things locally in a specific local area endocrine means it becomes systemic right things get sent and excreted systemically rather than locally
0: yeah i mean think about it this thing this thing is making digestive enzymes proteolytic enzymes to break down food and then on the back end it's just like (laughs) making insulin (laughs) glucagon it's making hormones oh my god So like, yeah, liver. Okay, liver, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I get it. Mm. But like, let's not cast shade on the pancreas, right? (laughs)
1: Doesn't get its due, right?
0: There's probably a lot of, the spleen's probably over there like,
1: what about me, guys? (laughs) You can live without a spleen. (laughs) I Can you live without a pancreas? Not well. Yeah. All of these things being equal. We know the pancreas is super important to help digest a myriad of nutrients, right? So with that, we're looking at markers on the stool tests that might help us to know what's going on in your pancreatic exocrine function and that's pancreatic elastase 1. Yeah. Which you could tell by that ASE ending, something's an enzyme, right? ASE.
0: That's a that's a good way yeah. to to know whether something's an enzyme yeah. or not, yeah.
1: Yeah. So pancreatic elastase 1 or PE1 is a it's an enzyme secreted by the pancreas. It's an it's a good reflection of exocrine pancreatic function.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: And so what does it tell us on a test, Michael?
0: Well, it's going to tell you how well the pancreas is secreting those enzymes. And, you know, this is occurring in the proximal s- small intestine. You got to wear that little, what's the name of that duct? Not the bile duct, not the common bile duct. Oh, yes. Thank you. (laughs) Wow, I'm going to The pancreatic
1: duct and the sphincter of odi.
0: The sphincter of odi was what I was thinking of. So the...
1: (laughs) Why did you think of that? That's just random.
0: I just, you know, hearkening back to to Gross Lab, I was Mm. remembering having to memorize all these ridiculous things. So what pancreatic elastase is going to tell you is how efficiently you're secreting digestive enzymes from the pancreas and... There's a lot of things that can impact that. Oh, Um, gosh, yeah. So if you see lower levels, the first thing is you're thinking pancreatic insufficiency, especially if it's really low, and you're thinking about pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy, PERT, and evaluating the cause. Is this due to some sort of insulin resistance or diabetes? Is this due to alcohol use, chronic alcohol use? Is this due to... Something a little bit more rare, like cystic fibrosis in a child, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or there are actually some really common things that can do it too,
1: like age advancing age. Yes, vegan diets can make it start to fall,
0: which is interesting, right? We don't, I don't, I haven't seen the mechanism of that explained. It's something that we see commonly on the test results. And I have seen in the literature that the pancreas, and, and this is really interesting, it. It changes what types of enzymes it secretes in response to somebody's diet. So if somebody all of a sudden goes, you know, high fat diet, Mm -hmm. then it's going to actually upregulate the production of lipases in response to that. So there is this this part of the gut brain connection, right? There's this connection between what you're eating and the feedback mechanisms around what the pancreas secretes to be able to handle it. That's really cool.
1: So we think that the vegan diets or a change in your diet that might cause your PE1 to fall might be that of a feedback loop.
0: Yeah, because the, ultimately pancreatic elastase is a proteolytic enzyme. And so if there's a change in the protein consumption or the the quality of the, the protein consumption, you're probably down regulating that, that proteolytic enzyme release.
1: So we talk about it; those causes of a low pancreatic elastase 1. There are some associations that aren't clear, but we see low PE1 in things like celiac disease or IBD. Yeah. I do want to point out that there's a place that we need to point out that there's no effect, and that's with enzyme supplementation. PE one sure. is one of those markers where if you're taking digestive enzymes of any kind, it's not affected by that.
0: That's different than chymotrypsin, which is another marker that is used on some stool tests. Chymotrypsin will be affected by, A, what the consistency of the stool sample is. It'll change, and it'll change based on whether somebody's on digestive enzyme therapy or not. That's not the same for pancreatic elastase, which makes it a, a far superior marker.
1: Chymotrypsin's affected by transit time as well.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stool consistency. I, I think oh, I probably lumped that together. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, no, I think that's me being just a little too broad. But the other thing I was going to say, I have not been able to find literature associations with this, but I see this all the time on stool tests and having conversations is that stress. Yeah. And stress... I
1: remember you and I spent time lit diving this a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. We see it. And it makes sense physiologically with respect to the way things change, parasympathetic versus sympathetic, but chronic stress and that's its effect on lowering pancreatic enzyme secretion. I see that all the time. We
1: just don't have a mechanism nor literature. Yeah. The other thing I see, and I don't necessarily find this anywhere in literature, is sometimes in SIBO patients, you'll see a lower PE1. Have you seen that, Michael? I don't
0: know. I think I, I'm almost certain that I've seen some literature articles to support that it can have an impact on pancreatic function. Yeah. But maybe we can pull that article up. Maybe and we could do it for do that for. A, what do we think? What we do know. we think we know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great. So we've talked about pancreatic elastase and we've talked about small intestine products of protein breakdown. That particular aspect of it. The other thing is fat and how well we're digesting fat. And you know, fats fats complicated. It's a little bit. It has a different way of digesting and absorbing in the GI tract, starting with its breakdown into from cholesterol and triglycerides, which is mainly when you're eating fat. It's in the form of triglycerides and cholesterol. Those are the big molecules. And then it gets to the stomach and small intestine, encounters lipases, and then it gets broken down into your long-chain fatty acids and phospholipids and your glycerol backbone. And then those things have to be emulsified and that's where bile comes in, right? So tell me a little bit about what can go wrong from a, yeah. from a fat digestion absorption standpoint. We talked about how with advancing age, we have lower secretion of proteolytic enzymes, but actually even lipases are even more dramatically affected by advancing age as well. So as we get older, our ability to digest and absorb fat efficiently becomes hampered. Yeah, and you think about that, and you think about all these fat-soluble nutrients. Gosh,
1: think about it as you get older.
0: Like, vitamin D you, levels, vitamin about, A, well, vitamin well, E.
1: You, you, some people as you get older lose their teeth, so there's a problem there. They have decreased hydrochloric acid production, right? Then their PE one is falling. There's a lot going on there. But then it comes down to you know what are the problems with fats? Is it a digestion problem? Is it a reabsorption problem? Because there's lots of reasons for both. And I think about the fate of some of these fats depends on their size at points because we measure things like triglycerides and cholesterol and phospholipids and long chain fatty acids. And the smaller forms of fat are easily absorbed through the intestinal enterocyte. However, things like long chain fatty acids, which are a little bit bigger, require a mediator, right? right? So when you look at fecal fats on a stool test, you can kind of gets some clue as to whether or not this is more maldigestion or malabsorption,
0: right? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Because as I said, when you eat fat, it comes in the form of triglycerides and cholesterol. And so if you're seeing a lot of triglycerides and cholesterol, make it all the way through the GI tract, end up in the stool, then you're thinking that there might be some major problems with the lipase function or the maldigestion part of it. Conversely, I just wanted to use that word, Mm. is if you see a lot of long-chain fatty acids and phospholipids, those are the breakdown products of fat. So that might be more of an indication around malabsorption, which when you think about absorption, you're thinking about bile, right? Bile is used to emulsify these fatty acids so that they're more readily absorbed. And so if there's a problem with bile flow or bile reabsorption, then that's, that can produce elevated levels of long-chain fatty acids and phospholipids.
1: Yeah, that's true. And even more tricky parts to fecal fats because they can be influenced by a lot of other things. In addition to all the things you mentioned, Michael, like number one, transit time.
0: Yeah, If someone has a really
1: fast transit time, there's no time to break down and reabsorb fats. Right. Number two, something like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, where the bacteria from the large intestine are in the small intestine and they actually deconjugate bile salts and make it... Hard for fats to be broken down and reabsorbed.
0: Huh? Those tricky bacteria. I know. Yeah, they're going to ferment the primary yeah. bile acids yeah. into secondary bile acids. Some of which have been implicated in things like colon cancer risk. So, mm-hmm. that's probably a topic for a different day. But that's a, it's very very interesting.
1: Yeah. So, the other part of that is that in your diet, if you're if you eat a lot of fat in your diet, that can affect your levels as compared to a healthier cohort yeah. and cholesterol levels levels more specifically. And yeah,
0: I've seen that in sort of some of the, yeah. the high fat, you know, paleo keto individuals right. where they're they're eating so much fat, they're exceeding their GI tract's ability to, to digest and absorb all that. And the question I always get is, well, should they stop or should they eat less? And I'm like, I mean... I can't necessarily say that, right? right? You're instigating this particular therapy for a reason. And just because they're exceeding the body's capacity to digest and absorb, that's not, to my knowledge, necessarily a problem right. in and of itself. Uh, however, there has been some literature to come out to say some of these products, these bacterial products, can have systemic activity or have clinical associations like TMAO, just a, mm-hmm. and we'll probably talk about that at a oh, future that's podcast. That's a whole episode. Right.
1: But you're right. And so we think about, you know, what are the other causes? Things like celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease. Like these are all associations with maldigestion and malabsorption of fats in addition to SIBO and pancreatic insufficiency, etc.
0: Yeah, precisely. Cool. Well, I mean, I think that's that's pretty Dude, well Dude, that's rated. a
1: lot of information.
0: What do we do? From a, from a treatment standpoint, we haven't even talked about what to do for all this. We talked about PERT, we did. pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy, if you uh-huh. have low pancreatic elastase. But um, what are some other things? What about for hypochlorhydria?
1: We, some people give betaine, HCL, which uh-huh. is in essence, you know, digestive enzyme.
0: The problem is that... Well, it's, it's stomach. I mean, it's HCL for stomach acid secretion, really.
1: Yeah, and the problem is there's really no good way to test someone's HCL levels their um, stomach pH unless yeah, you do the, the Heidelberg capsule test where you're just swallowing a capsule to check the pH of fun. your stomach mm, not practical so some people do a betaine challenge where they give betaine and they keep giving betaine until someone has some kind of discomfort and then they back off
0: right which by the is way is risky yeah and by the way the content of this podcast is really meant for medical <laughs> educational purposes only and should not be misconstrued as medical advice diagnosis or treatment recommendations thank you
1: you're welcome No, that's so that's something people do. And they'll give other just digestive enzymes in general. Some people give pancreatic enzymes. Some people give betaine HCL like we talked about. But other things people do are bile salts or ox bile you can give to support the gallbladder and support the ability to break down and digest fats. But and that's think, where you
0: get some of that distinction on the stool test. You yeah. know, Whether you're looking at triglycerides or cholesterol, you might be more inclined to do something like extra lipases. If you see more long-chain fatty acids or phospholipids, you might be thinking about doing more along the lines of bile salt.
1: Wow. Did you just run out of gas in the middle of bile salt?
0: Yeah. You know, little kids, I didn't get much sleep last night, so I think my brain was just like nap time.
1: Noted. Let's move on. But I think that the naturopathic <laughs> approach here is also going to lend a lot of great information, things like bitters and cholagogues You want to talk about those, Michael?
0: Sure. Digestive bitters like gentian, gentian root. Anything that has a really strong bitter taste is going to stimulate the production of enzymes. There's a reflex essentially reflex in your mouth in response to the bitter taste where you start the digestive process happening. You even start peristalsis to a certain extent. And so a lot of people will do like five drops of gentian in water before meals or other digestive bitters. There are herbs that we call colagogs that are to stimulate the production of bile flow. I'm not going to talk a lot about that because that should be done with care and and with under the guidance of uh, somebody who's qualified in doing herbal therapy like a naturopath because you don't want to excessively be doing that. There's problems especially if you're running if you're concerned about a patient having gallstones. That could be a mm-hmm. problem. Those are some things we do from a naturopathic perspective as well. In addition There's, to looking addition for the, to other things. under
1: looking for underlying causes and trying to correct those as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's do what? Question of the day. Oh
1: my God! What time is it?
0: Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. What do you think?
1: That's my favorite one. I worked on it. You work on these a lot.
0: I I work. There's a
1: lot of working on it.
0: But I mean the output. Mm, well day. worth the effort, sir. Right. Great job. So what is the question of the day?
1: So if someone has had a cholecystectomy, what will their fecal fats look like on their GI effects or any stool test for that matter? Will they be high? Would they be low? Would they be normal?
0: It's hard to know. So the natural inclination is to think that they're going to be elevated, right? Because the gallbladder is a storage facility hmm. <laughs> for for bile. <laughs> And if you take that out, then the liver is just going to be making bile and secreting it randomly at random like times. Like dumping it in. Yeah. Well, we don't know whether it's a slow trickle or whether mm. it's dumping. But that you would think that that would lead to elevated things like long-chain fatty acids and phospholipids and cholesterol because that's the contents of bile. But actually, there's when the research has looked at this and asked that question, they found that there's no change in fecal fat production post-cholecystectomy. Hmm. and so that's it's a little hard to know that's why i say it that way personally i've looked at a lot of gifx i've done a lot of case reviews with clinicians I tend to see that people who have had cholecystectomy, they have elevated fecal fats.
1: And it might depend too, right? If it's just intermittently dumping, as you describe.
0: And there's a lot of variables, like transit time. If somebody has a very slow transit time, then they're going to be more likely to reabsorb any sort of bile in the small intestine. And so if they have a rapid transit time, sure, we're probably going to see more elevated fecal fats in general, Mm -hmm. and it might even be exacerbated by having their gallbladder out. Interesting. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so next time mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna switch over to nutrition. Great. We're gonna really get into some serious nutrition.
1: I'm excited about that.
0: And uh, we'll talk about some of the nutritional testing. We've done a lot of GI recently. Yeah, you know what I mean. So let's let's get into let's get into the nutrition part of it.
1: That's a great idea.
0: Next time, on The Lab Report, we talk all about minerals.
1: Are there a lot of minerals in those gluten-free bagels you eat every morning?
0: I use a mineral schmear. Ew.
1: You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at one 800 522 4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net Schmear Sounds like you're just saying it wrong Smear Shmear. Sounds like you're saying Do you smear, think they
0: came from the same origin? Mm. Schmear I don't know because one's a
1: verb and one's a noun but I guess that doesn't matter, right?
0: Not when it comes to entomology mm.
1: The study of bugs? Yes <laughs>